Welcome to the Lodestone Training Consulting Podcast. My name is Jared Ross. I'm Chris Johnson. And today we're joined with Keith Monte. Thank you, Keith. Glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. I'll give you guys uh, the quick lowdown for the 30, 60, 90. For 30 days out, we have May 20 through 22nd. We have our pistol combat marksmanship class. So this is our level two pistol class. This is our introduction to shooting while moving, as well as our introduction to barricades while using a pistol. And then the third day, we get into combatives, fighting from the ground and, and all sorts of, of fun stuff. It's a, it's a good class, fun class. Uh, for our 60, June 12th, we have an intro to night vision devices. So this is a seminar open to everyone. We explain night vision, how it works, some of its properties. We have samples and stuff to let people look at and see. And it's really, it's a good learning experience if that's something that you're interested in. Uh, we give you a lot of different options, and we uh, help you learn about it. Then the 90 we have on July 17th, it's our pistol rifle transition. So it's a full day of us explaining how to use both a pistol and a rifle as one complete fighting system, and how to transition, why to transition, and, and then to come up with your own individual shooter solution based upon the circumstances and the distance that you're at. So that's our 30, 60, 90. And then also for book club for this month, we're reading The Congo Mercenary. And that will be uh, the 2nd of May. That will be Sunday at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern. i got to throw that in there. That's I, right. I understand we're, we're, we're not just here anymore. Uh, I'm really enjoying the book. It's my third time through it. And today at, at lunch at the range, I was talking to some of you out there who have been reading it. And it sounds like uh, it's having the desired effect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Abby, she started reading it and listening to it with, with some of the kids. And then I know she's got sucked into it. So she, she's left the kids behind and she's, uh, she's just about done with it. One of the things, if you're going through it, think about how you would handle those situations. You're going to gain a lot out of the book. How would I do that? How would I handle that? And Chris, give us real quick, what, what is the basic plot of the book? So it is uh, Colonel Mike War, Mad Mike War. Uh, and his exploits as a mercenary in the Congo, uh, circa 1964, circa 1965, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, I may have the dates wrong by year, hence the circa. Uh, <laughs> it's they brought in white mercenaries to help the um, the newly formed Congolese government against communist-backed rebels, and they were mainly Chinese communist-backed, but there were some Russian advisors, and it's. A very dry is the wrong word. I'm going to say honest. There is no fluff. He is not telling this story to make himself sound good. He is recounting history, the things that actually happened, and some of the leadership challenges that he had in his exploits in the Congo. I know that as I've been going through it with my family, it's brought up a lot of conversations about, I didn't even know this stuff was going on. Yeah. And it's true. As Westerners, we don't know what's going on in the rest of the world. I really liked how uh, when he's talking about, what was it, Operation uh, Watch Chain. Yes. All the mistakes and failures that they had. And like you said, it, no fluff. He's just being honest. And, yep. you know, this is what happened. And, boy, that, that was a mistake. Yeah, I should have waited for that. I should yeah. have done this. It, great. Yeah. It is a good book. Good selection. Yep. Well, tonight or today, I guess depending when you're listening to this, uh, we're going to be talking about the AK 47. So we brought in Keith as someone to give a very in-depth perspective on the AK-47 or AK variants. Um, 
because Jared and I have our experience and we have the things that we really like about the system. We thought you guys deserve a little bit more. And so uh, we got someone for that. All right. So, Keith, tell us a little about yourself. And uh, so, uh, yeah. well, I'm a local boy, uh, born in local Lancaster. to America. Absolutely. 100% American. Don't uh, let my weapon choice fool you on that one. <laughs> um, I grew up in Elizabethtown. Um, my family served in the military. Uh, my father was a Vietnam vet um, with 10th Mountain Group. Um, grandfather was in Korea, uh, 82nd Airborne. Um, the best way I can say it is, though, the influence that I got the most was my mom was a bar manager once my parents got divorced of a VFW. Okay. So talking to most of the vets, um, most of them being non-vets, um, it was kind of like 75-25. 75% of them would always say that how impressed they were with the AK, right? Now, I remember uh, the summer going into first grade, I watched Red Dawn for the first <laughs> time. Changed my life. Love that movie still to this day. Um, like, it's an annual requirement, right? 100%. You must watch it once a year. 100%. It's like uh, the Christmas story to some people. Yeah. Um, and, Do you have a particular time of the year that you have to watch it? Uh, typically when it gets cold out. Okay. You know, it, it makes it feel more, you know. I like it at the beginning of the school year. Like that, that September, October, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, we got to think about these things. Well, and you say that because the football game that they lost, right? Mm-hmm. And I see that and, you know, all of that kind of intertwines together. So, yeah, about November is when I really am like, i got to watch this right now. We should set an event. Yeah. I am all for that. You know what I've I've been kicking around, and and I th- well, something I'd like to do, and that's uh, watch the movie Red Dawn would be a great mm-hmm. one to start with. Maybe some other movies, maybe Rambo or, or something else. Watch some of those, but then we watch it live, and then give the commentary, um, and then people can watch the movie and listen to us give the commentary. I think Red Dawn would be a phenomenal one to do. Um, there's some other organizations that do that. You know, kind of like the. Uh, Mr. Science Theater 3000 yes, thing, yes. Yeah. You know, that, that kind of a thing, but, mm-hmm. you know, not, I don't know. I was going to say maybe not so corny, but we'll get pretty corny. <laughs> corny to some, but to gun nerds, it yeah. is, uh, you know, basically uh, just business as normal. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of, well, all right. No, 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 we, no, we, no. Dude, we can keep going about Red Dawn. <laughs> just let, let's not derail. There, there's a yeah. lot, of, lot of good gun stuff in there. Like, uh, you remember the part where they, they got the ambush and the guy's up on top of the roof and he's, He's dropping uh, grenades down, right? Mm-hmm. Do you see? Do you know the weapon those guys are the, they were using? They were from, they were Cuban or mm-hmm. Latin American, yeah, Cuban. yeah. yeah. Uh, soldiers. Yep. FNFALs. Yep. Everything's in that movie. Anyways, all right. Sorry, Keith. Keep going. <laughs> no, you're completely fine. It's an epic movie. There's so much to talk about. <laughs> yes. Um, but the, a lot of the non-vets uh, took me under their wing. Um. Then me being a, you know, kind of like a, a punk kid, you know, we would always just kind of ransack through whatever neighborhood possible, playing creeks and stuff like that. There was this one scary guy, and I remember he yelled at us, flipped out. I mean, he was pretty uh, uh, pretty in-depth in Budweiser at that time, I believe. <laughs> um, and then the one time, uh, I came back by myself, and he snuck up on me, and you know, kind of, hey, what are you doing? And me, I'm like catching crayfish. He's like, oh, I remember doing that. Um, so he became uh, really, well, warm at that point. So I was like, okay, I'll keep talking to him. So the one day I come by and uh, 
I actually get to go into his house, which nowadays most people would be like, absolutely, <laughs> what, what are you doing? Um, but, you know, he was just cool. Like, you know, what I envisioned that I wanted to be when I was older, except for, well, he had his demons. So he was a Vietnam vet. Um, after Vietnam, he came back and he didn't have a uh, whole lot to do. So he, that's where I learned the term soldier of fortune. I always heard it with the A team and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But then he explained to me what it was. So um, he had a career in that for a while. And then I guess in the early 90s, something happened that went to the wayside. Every picture he had, though, um, was a picture of him with a clutch and cough. So finally I asked him because I was like, man, I think those guns are so cool. And he's like, it's one of my favorite weapons of all time. Just explained everything to me, told me, you know, some of the horrible situations he was in in Nam and in other areas where it was just old faithful, old reliable. Um, but he did admit that, you know, there was drawbacks to it. Um, he really drove the point across of reliability, you know, something that you can stand behind. And that's why I would say um, I'm, I'm like that with everything. The, the AK sets me 100% with everything that I find reliable in life I stick with. Um, so then fast forward a few years, uh, September 11, 2001. I was told that my in-doc to the United States Marine Corps was denied due to scar tissue in my left knee, um, uh, tearing a meniscus. So I was kind of like, well, oh, I don't know what to do in life. You know, I just figured, okay, I'll go work construction, which, which I did. Um, but September 11, 2001 happens, and, you know, just like every other true American, I was devastated. You know, I, I was pissed off beyond belief. Um the only peculiar thing is then you start seeing bin Laden on every magazine cover and all this stuff. And uh, I noticed a, a Kalashnikov because this wasn't back in the day where the internet was so prevalent, you know. I noticed a Kalashnikov that I've never seen before. I'm like, man, that thing's cool. Like, I had an SKS at the time, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I definitely want to, you know, get more AKs and stuff like that, you know. So it started, like, I would say a gross obsession. Um... So right around then, we were still in the band, still deep in the band, in my opinion. So I went to the Harrisburg Gun Show. I bought a Mac 90 off of some dude with a mullet with a for sale sign on it. Um, <laughs> and what'd you pay, if if you can remember? Back then, I would say uh, about 200 bucks. Okay, about 200 dollars, and uh, you know it was awesome. You know I was like, oh man, you know, uh, went to a local shop um, and bought as much ammo as I could. Um, went to a state game range and, uh, yeah, that didn't end well. Um, you know, because of course I still had the juvenile delinquent in me. Um, but I, I just fell in love 100%. Um, around that time, my friend's father sold me a SP one and I, I mean, I liked it. I thought it was cool and everything, but I always gravitated back to the AK. Um, so then some time goes on and still, I, I've never been a big savvy computer guy. So, um, I didn't know a whole, whole lot, um, about all the different variants, all the different types and all this. So I buy an AK-74 and, you know, in my mind, I'm like, oh yeah, I got tons of magazines. This is going to work out great. Um, Neanderthal me, it's not going in. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, and also I was probably about 21 at the time. So my temper got the best of me and I just threw the rifles like to hell with this. And then a friend of mine who was uh, a little bit more computer savvy, dude, that's an AK-74. Yeah, I know. And he's like, 
different magazines, bro. And I'm like, <laughs> well, I knew it was different ammo, but I figured the mags were the same. And he's like, you can rebuild an engine, but you couldn't figure that out. <sighs> so that was embarrassing, you know, point. Um, but then, you know, I bought some magazines. I prevailed. Mm-hmm. Um, I fell in love with that caliber. Um, started then, okay, maybe I got to do this reading thing. Um, started finding out a lot of information about why they gravitated towards that, influenced by us in Vietnam, Yeah, um, which was one of the smartest decisions that they made, even though Kalashnikov himself was not for that. Um, so me being mechanically inclined, I started tinkering with stuff. Um, just modifying lightly here and there. And then, uh, the first time someone was like, Hey, do you think you can build a parts kit? Yeah. And I'm thinking (laughs) to myself, no. Um, so we researched how to do it without proper tools. So we did a screw build. Um, did that started coming loose. Um, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to weld it. So we did a weld build about two years later. And as far as I know, that would have been done in 2006. It's still together to this day. Um, I don't condone weld builds, but, hey, I got lucky. Um, So time went on, and, of course, I never stopped uh, training with an AK, buying them. Um, But I wasn't to the point where I was like, you know what, I'm going to buy $1,000 worth of tools and then some and start building them. Um. It probably would have been right around 2013, uh, right after Sandy Hook. And I'm like, wow, these really went up in price. So I'm just going to buy a bunch of parts kits. I'll sit on them, and I'll slowly buy the tools. Um, And I stacked up parts kits, and uh, then I finally bought a decent amount of tools. The first build that I did completely by myself um, was just a MD-63 Romanian kit. Still have the gun to this day. Love it, you know. So as you were you know, taking this progression, then you also started working for a gun shop mm-hmm. on part-time. And so now you're, right now today, not only part-time uh, working at the gun shop, but you're also, now you've gone full steam where you're you're working and building and, and, and doing gun maintenance and everything specific to this platform. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, that that's really kind of... It just kind of happened. Yeah. Um, it, it started me just wanting to, you know, hey, I'm going to do this. And then, you know, $1,000 in tools goes to $3,000 in tools. <laughs> and then me being, you know, of the Hebrew descent, I'm like, oh, man, I got to get my money's worth out of this. So then I, you know, <laughs> like, it's like a fat kid in a candy store trying to eat as much candy before it gets caught. Uh-huh. Um, so it was like whenever anyone was like, Hey, I can do, you know, can someone, hey, I got it, I'll do it. And, you know, um, a lot of times it was just helping out a buddy. Um, I got in deeper than I wanted to. Um, but I'm thankful for that because I got paid, I just didn't know it at the time. I got an education, I got knowledge. Um, so now I'm completely comfortable with doing, you can throw me a box of parts and, even if some parts don't exist, within reason, I can make them. Yeah. You know, mostly pins and stuff. I'm, I'm not going to sit there and, you know, even though I look like an elf, I'm not going to sit there and forge, you know, trunnions and stuff like that. Um, but there's not a whole lot that I can't do with almost any one of the variants at this point. I'm not trying to be cocky with it. It's just I've uh, paid in blood, sweat, and tears yeah. to learn that. Well, you're... 
a real self-educated man. I like how the uh, kind of catalyst for this was a failure. You're like, I bought the wrong thing. I, you know, you know, I bought the right thing. I just thought it was the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and instead of letting that completely break you down, you're like, no, no, no. I'm that, gonna learn this. That was the motivation. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, no, I'm gonna beat this. Chris, so tell us, when was the first time uh, you saw an AK, or when did it first influence you? So yes, movies, all that, seen them, but. We've all heard my background by now. Didn't have that gun culture. Yeah. The time that it, like I remember, I can picture this in my mind. Uh, 1996. I'm a senior in high school. And I see on the cover of um, some like Newsweek or Time or whatever magazine, a boy in the Balkans that is obviously the same age as I am. I mean, he is, you know, and... Dark hair, big nose, white pale skin, wearing Adidas. It, it's you. It's me. You know, I mean, I was probably wearing an Adidas shirt at the time. And uh, this kid was ducking behind a wall and returning fire while looking down the sights of an AK and someone uh, snapped a shot of it. And that moment I realized that I'm a very, very small fish in a very big world. Um, there is a man or a boy my same age who is on the other side of the world fighting and that's the tool that he's using and I don't know anything other than that's a gun and I I realized that I should probably know what that is I should probably know a little bit more about it and that I should really take the the benefits that I have of being born in this country and the freedoms that I had uh, not for granted because at that time all I was concerned about was getting gas money to go to Salt Lake to go skateboarding that weekend. And that, and so that, that gun has always been that symbol to me that has reminded me to appreciate the freedoms that I have. Probably the first time I saw an AK where it really like had an impact on me, just that the image. And that would be hanging out with, uh, with two of my buddies, uh, hanging out with, with Gweed. So if you're, if you're listening to Gweed, you, you know, I'm talking about you. Um, I used to go over. That has to have a real lengthy story of how that name came about. Guido, yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, absolutely. Even another then, time. Even then, as a you know, thirteen year old, fourteen year old, we we still talked in code that uh, we hold up to to this day. Mm. Anyways, so um, the three of us when we'd hang out on the weekend or something, we would usually watch one of three uh, movies. We'd either watch the first half of Full Metal Jacket, or we would watch an old. Uh, I don't know where we got it from, but a video called Deadly Weapons, which that's that is a classic. Have you seen Deadly Weapons? Doesn't no. sound familiar. Oh, it it's straight up eighties. Uh, this guy starts with a twenty two. This is what a twenty two will do to a jug of water. This is what a twenty five will do to a jug of water, and then works his way up to I think that one point they're uh, they have a fifty cal. Well, shooting a fifty cal at a at a gas tank of a car will set it on fire. Nope, it destroyed the car, but didn't didn't have a thing blow up. Um, Anyway, so that I've was, seen clips of that yeah. on YouTube. Yep. Yes. Okay. That, or we'd watch Red Dawn, and and that image of that young man up on the hill, holding that Kalashnikov above his head and yelling Wolverines. I mean, honestly, I, for me, growing up watching that, there's no other icon of like I'm going to stand and fight for freedom than willing this communist manufactured uh, firearm over my head. You know, that's 
that that really is is what stuck it with me. And then um, so I was always interested in that. And when I turned eighteen, the first thing I bought was an SKS. And then soon thereafter, I, I got a Mac ninety. Nice. Yeah, I still have that that Mac ninety. I have since, you know, like lost or got rid of the old wood furniture and have replaced. And, you know, so now I'm sure it's not worth it nearly as much as, as what some people are getting for them these days. But it's that's mine forever. That's that's not getting sold. To me, it's worth what it's worth to you. Yeah. And if you're never going to sell it, it doesn't matter what a material value is. Yeah. You know, still to this day, there's an open, uh, you know, offer if you ever decide to sell your FAL. You know? <laughs> I'm just saying. That's not getting sold either. Uh, I might get buried to that FAL. Very Elvis of you. Mm-hmm. Darn right. I, I have a 1911 that it either goes to my favorite grandson yeah. or I get buried with it. It's <laughs> it's 50-50. Understandable. Mm-hmm. All right, so you've told us a little bit about you know, your story, your background, how you started to learn and, and became self-educated, and through trial and error, mm-hmm. um, you have figured that platform out. But why? what is it about the AK that you, you like that platform so much? Well, I'll tell you honestly, where I got hooked was the fact that I'm very frugal, cheap, some people will say. (laughs) Um, And I just like the fact that, you know, I could just clear out my entire head, you know, no matter what was going wrong in life, no matter, you know, how miserable everything was around me, I could go to a range very much like my relationship with skateboarding in my life, and everything was gone. And I just, I I absolutely loved it. Um, And... I always prided myself on the fact that when I would have somebody, even guys that, you know, could run guns pretty good, they would always struggle with it. And for me, it just kind of came natural because originally I'm a left-handed shooter. Okay. Um, I recently in the past 10 years become more of a right-handed shooter just because I wanted to conquer and learn that. And now I find myself shooting right more than anything. Um, but to me, it made sense because like, you know, I could operate, you know, the charging handle and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. you know, and still have a good placement on the gun. Um, that, and then just uh, again, reliability, but, uh, how robust it is because I am definitely a descendant of Neanderthals. 100 (laughs) percent. Um, if it, like, this is why I wanted to be a Marine. If it can be broken, I will break it. Um, it, it's going to happen. Just allow nature to take its course. You know, I'm, I'm like Chunk from the Goonies. Um, it's going to go bad. But no matter what, I couldn't kill one. You know, knowing what I know now, absolutely I can shut one down. Um, but still, just being, you know, an ignorant, you know, late teen, early 20s, I just could not kill one. So to me, it became a testament of just, you know, reliability and just being robust. Um, and then I noticed when I would run, I'm not saying like I'm the expert at it, but when I would run a stoner platform rifle, it just felt so much more easier to run. And it was like, wow, man, I, I do enjoy running these. There's, there's a lot to them. Um, so I'm, I'm a fan of the stoner platformer rifles, the AR-15. I even like the AR-10s. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have appreciation for them. Um, but when it comes down to it, um, just it's what fits me the best. It's you know not the most complex answer. It's the simplest. It just fits me the best. What do you like about it, Chris? Well, we were actually having this discussion earlier about Russian equipment <laughs> and uh, the sizing. Um, and you know, 
you think of a Russian, or at least my thought of a Russian was Ivan Drago. You mm-hmm. know, six foot four, you know, two hundred pounds, rocks all muscle. They're not all built like that. Um, and so one of the things that I've always struggled as a taller guy, and I know this is supposed to me to say something I like, is actually the short buttstock. Yep. So I like some of the other variants that, you know, you have the collapsible buttstock, you have the adjustables. Um, I, I enjoy that. I don't want to say that reliability is is the thing that, yeah, that that's what I, I, I really like. What I appreciate what I'm going to say I appreciate about the AK is longevity that the platform has endured. And the minor tweaks, they're all minor. It's a, usually something cosmetic, like uh, making the, the collapsible buttstock or you know something along those lines, changing the furniture. But the integral parts, the, the, the firing operating system, has not changed very much from the original design. And there's something to be said about that. Yeah. When you have a good thing, it, it stands the test of time. Um, how many other platforms, I know someone's going to list off 10 others, but have the, the prevalence in, around the world? You know, the AK, the AR, they're, they're the standards for a reason. And it's not because of the industrial nation, industrialization of those nations that produced them. Because there are other industrial nations that produce their own firearms that have not taken off on the same way. And there are other companies and nations that have uh, records of reliability that are, you know, miles long. Those two systems are proven. And the AK is a proven, consistent system. So much so that I know that I can pick one up off the battlefield and I know I can use it. Not just because, yeah, I pull trigger, it go bang. But the sights are generally almost always the same. They're predictably the same. I I like that. I really, really like that. I like that if, if Keith, you handed me one right now and we're at the range, I could sit there and shoot, ding, steal all day long and not have to change anything, not have to tweak anything. And there's a lot to be said for that. Um you know, that's, uh, and I'll get to that later on, um, where people take it away from, you know, the actual original platform mm-hmm. and they start modernizing it. And to me, same reason why I'm so about keeping a Glock pretty close to factory, because if I have to pick up someone else's Glock, I want it to be similar. You know, uh, pistol to rifle is completely different in, in my book when it comes to feel, you know, like I, I need it to feel pretty similar with a pistol because I'm neither I'm to neither of your levels with pistol shooting. So I, I kind of need that whoopee, you know, like <laughs> that, uh, yeah. that warm blanket. Um, but with an AK, uh, I've always just been able to pick them up and go. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I, I like that the platform, you know, pretty much for those same reasons. I have a lot of ARs, you know, that's been a, with my profession of arms. That's been my, my primary weapon ever since I joined the military, obviously. But I have had an AK longer. You know, I bought that a that original Mac ninety in ninety ninety four, maybe. Yeah, I was gonna say you're doing math. It looks. I know. It's it it a little while ago. Um, so yeah, I, I've had that for a while. I like that platform, and and man, overseas. Like, there were a couple times when we uh, recovered a cache, and th- there was no Cosmoline. There, there was no nothing. It was just, here's this AK, and I'm going to put it in the dirt. 
and and recover it later and and those things just just keep on running keep on running so i've I've done trips where that was you know the weapon system we used we used what the host nation was utilizing and um you know it's like you said you have to be proficient with the manual of arms yes and if you pick that weapon system up and think you're going to treat it like any other weapon system you're going to struggle and you're you may not like it you may sit there and be like oh i wish you could do this i wish you could do that instead of wishing just learn to use the tool that you have in your hand. Could not yeah. agree more. And I'll tell you, I had that mentality. Other guys on the team had that mentality. And we got very good and very pleased with yeah. the results. And the, oh, AKs are inaccurate. No, they're not. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm very pleased with what I can yeah. do with one. Yeah. But it's because I learned the manual of arms with it. I, because I trained with it. The other guys that were like, ah, oh, no, I'd rather have my M4. And just complained about it, they suffered every time we tried to use those things because, oh, magazine changes are such garbage on this. Well, if you learn how to do the magazine change on it, you'll be proficient at it. Yep. It's like people that are like, oh, man, I hate using a manual vehicle. I like my manual or my I like my car to shift for me. Okay, you got to do a little extra work, but. You go someplace outside of the U.S., you're going to find a manual vehicle. You know, one thing I determined years ago, shoot, even before I went into the military, where I, I started pur- purchasing some ARs and knew that was going to be my primary, but I always had an AK, and that was, you know, if, if everything else would fail, I knew I'd have that that reliable piece of equipment that, you know, that's going to work when the spring breaks or, you know, the, the pin is lost or whatever with those ARs, I'll still be able to get that AK going. Well, and, you know, the the one thing that you touched on in a previous podcast is how the evolution of the stoner rifle, I know this isn't about that, but yeah. um, how they've grown more reliable. And I could not agree more. And, you know, everyone always likes to give me, you know, kind of irrational crap about it. Like, oh, yeah, you know, you think they're, you know, not as good or no, that's very far from the truth. I have a lot of respect for, you know, the, the modern M4 because to me it's pretty much rivaling on reliability to where each one has their own failure points, 100%. But um, the M4 is a night and day difference in reliability than, we'll say, an old SP1. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I really appreciate that. Um, but the one thing uh, that I want to make sure I say before I forget, you have to clean an AK. Do not believe it. You do not have to clean it. <laughs> well, that... That's one of the things that I it drives me up the wall. People are like, oh, I have 50,000 miles in my Yugo. I've never changed the oil once. Hey, that's awesome. You're going to have that engine blow on you at some point. Yep. And you, Jared, and I both know men that that is their weapon system, that they defend their lives with. And we have worked with those guys. And every mission, you come back in, and they recognize their life depends on and they clean those things. Yep. They clean them whether they shot them or not. Uh-huh. Usually with benzene. <laughs> uh-huh. But yeah, you, you do have to clean it. Will will it fire if it's dirty? Absolutely. No, I it just yeah. remind me, I, I've seen some things. I think the most incredible thing I've ever seen on a range. Uh, my ODA, we were training some Ugandans. And we were doing a, a buddy team drill. And uh, so it was like 300-meter-long... Uh, lane with a lot of different barricades so then one guy would be shooting and while he's shooting his partner would would leapfrog around to the next barricade and they would like be leapfrogging all the way forward so the guy i was safetying he's shooting 
you know, his his AK, you know, clack, 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 things going off, and then it's time for him to, to bound, so he slaps it on safe, grabs his gun, he's bounding around, and uh, he gets his next point of cover, and then he, you know, on fire, clack, 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 with, with his AKs going off, and then, uh, so as he's shooting, his buddy again bounds, so then gets his next point, he's shooting, so now my guy's ready to, to bound now for, for, for the third time, and he hasn't changed his mag yet, so it's kind of a long run from this point to his next point, so as he's running, I started yelling at him, tack mag, tack mag, you know, if, if you're not going to do anything, and, and I know he only has like a couple rounds left, might as well, you know, get that fresh magazine in, the, in there. So as he's running, he pulls out a fresh mag, he does that little Spetsnaz bump, you know, where mm-hmm. you, you bump the release and then push out that magazine to, to uh, slam in uh, that fresh mag. Well, he bumped, threw out the other mag, went to insert that mag, and, and it, it wasn't quite there. It slipped and he let go and the mag falls to the ground. So... The guy doesn't lose his stride, but he reaches back and he grabs that that magazine off the ground. So now he's running. And I look, and the first two rounds are like half in and out. They're both they're sticking like that. So now I'm laughing like, okay, what are you going to do now? So this guy running tries to insert it again. He sees the two rounds that are half in, half out. Okay. So this, who knows, this guy, maybe he's been running this thing since he was, I don't eight. know, eight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. You got it. Yeah. yeah. So and here I'm trying to teach him. Right. So this guy, he's still running almost at his point. Next thing I know, I see he sticks the mag in his mouth and with his teeth and his lips, he reinserts both of those rounds. So they're <laughs> properly seated. He slams that thing in, into, you know, rocks it into place, gets up to his next point. Bah, 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 bah. Oh, excuse me. Clack, 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 clack. That's more appropriate for an AK. Yeah. Right. And then I just like, I threw my arms up and I just yelled for joy, ripped off my SF patch and like slapped it on his shoulder. Cause I was just, I, I, I can't teach that. That was, that's some, talking about knowing the manual of arms. He, he, he knew his, he knew what was up. That was, that was pretty cool. Anyways, I, I digress. No, no, that, that, that's, no that's actually a really cool story. I mean, uh, as for rounds twisted, a lot of times what I'll do is try to smack it up the side of the receiver. Uh-huh. And usually you can get them to where either one round flicks out, the other round seats back in place. But, yeah, I'm, I'm not that much of a man to sit there and chew on a magazine. <laughs> I mean, that that takes some moxie. Yeah, yeah it does. Oh, good I, times. I think we need to add that to the, uh, the <laughs> AK the, class. Yeah, should yeah. we? Well, the, the one thing I, I have added and I have done, and I'll demo it in the AK class and then ask any students who want to try it. And uh, they sometimes you get some takers, but there's a lot of people like that's crazy. But I'll take off the dust cover, no big oh, deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shoot yeah. some rounds, bang bang, mm-hmm. okay. Uh, you don't need dust cover. And then after that, I'll uh, take out the spring and guide rod, and then with my uh, left hand push forward on the charging handle, and then with my right hand go ahead and, and, and shoot. And so absorb all the recoil in my in my palm, and then rack it like single shot. Yep. And you know just. As a demonstration that this this thing can can function, you know, even if you're losing these pieces, it, it'll still work. And uh, yeah, sometimes some takers, but most most of the time, the students are a little afraid to to take that little pinch in in, in their uh, in their wrist. Oh yeah, in the palm. That and you take off the gas tube, and people are like, "No, no, <laughs> this isn't going to work." And then they see like it just magically seats back into the cup of you know the gas block. They're like, "Whoa!" It's like showing a human being fire for the first time. That's right. <laughs> So we had a we had a huge cache of AKs in Iraq. Yeah, and you know we'll get we're coming to the end. We're going to be leaving. It's 2010 time frame, and we've got to destroy them. <sighs> and so, I was I was talking to some people about the things that had I known that a certain wooden foregrip was going to cost that much. I might have brought some of those back instead of just burning them yeah. um, or, or cutting them up. 
You caught him? We cut a bunch. And at one time, I, I, I had to stack the receivers on top of each other. And do and, a and thermite. Jump, yeah, do a thermite. Yeah. Just watch them melt. I did weld a bunch of them together. I cried. And made a chair. That was that was kind of cool. But they didn't let me bring that back. Even though I made sure they were all demilled. And they thought, you know, he's probably doing something. I would have paid some serious money for that chair. I, I would have, I probably would have never left you alone if I knew you had that chair. Yeah, I really am sad about that. I mean, it wasn't anything fancy. It looked like one of an office chair, like what we're sitting in right now. Completely okay. But um, the cool thing about that was we're destroying them. So make the best out of a bad situation. Hey, I'm an 18 Bravo. Let's see what we can do with this. And so we are chopping barrels. And, you know, we were cutting back, uh, we were cutting down the gas tube, mm-hmm. um, and then we were cutting the pistons and re-welding the pistons so they were, you know, the right dis- right length, and seeing if we could make them work. And we were making shorties. <laughs> and, I mean, out of every 10, we'd get eight that worked. You'd have two failures, but we learned a lot from the failures. We had to re-drill ports, you know, gas ports, and, you know, I... I'll be honest, the, the first time we did it, we drilled it the wrong direction. <laughs> but you do, you learn. Yeah. Um, Some fouling probably went down. Yeah, just just a little bit, you know. But we, we learned, and it, that was such a cool experience that I never will have that opportunity again to just have, like, a semi-truck trailer full of guns to, hey, you're breaking these anyways? Go learn on them. So taking apart fire control groups and having springs go flying everyone be like, oh, okay, that's a little harder to put back together <laughs> than, uh, you know, other fire systems. I'll tell you honestly, just that just that small part of the story right there, I'm just jealous because if I saw a truckload of just captured weapons, not necessarily just a Kalashnikov, anything, you know, stands or anything that I'm sure you guys... We had stands. You found in Iraq, I, I literally, somebody would have to beat me with a stick to get me away from them. One of the, our, we had a little arms room that was pretty ridiculous. Uh, I got to find those pictures. But we had a um, MG42 uh-huh. in there. Nice. And then we had a Stern Gewehr. And I wanted to bring both back. Yeah. And uh, we were doing, we were going to do the right thing because, you know, I'm not going to, like, Try and take it apart and put in my parts kit. Back. Oh, well, it's uh, repair parts, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's not worth that. But I wanted it to go back to the Fifth Group Museum. Yep. And uh, the paperwork got delayed and delayed at battalion, and then it got delayed at group. And, and by the time that we left, First Group replaced us. Oh, the paperwork got pushed through while well, First Group was there. They've got them in their arms room, I'm sure. That's they're sad. not there anymore. We tried the same thing. Um, I think I mentioned on the podcast before where we recovered a cherry uh, para FNFAL. Um, it still had uh, th- th- those original uh, para FALs. They had the sling like riveted to it, and it was it was in mint condition. That thing was incredible. And, yeah, we tried. Me and my my alpha, we, we tried to get the paperwork, but, yeah, it just wasn't happening. So one of the things I'm excited the most about having you on the podcast is I know there's a bunch of different variants by nomenclature Mm -hmm. and you know country of origin and things like that other than looking at hey that's a a stamped or a forged you know uh receiver forged being it's a billet that they've they've carved out the metal uh milled mill yeah sorry milled um and then the uh the stamped is it's just sheet metal that they've pressed together what other things are we looking at so um 
it really comes down to um, a lot of people misconceive, and everyone will say the original um, AK-47 was a milled gun. That's not the truth. Um, the Type 1 was a stamping, um, but it had a lot of problems. So since the Russians were pretty, um, we'll say, advanced when it came to um, milled guns, that's what they decided to roll their first production with until they got the... Um, stamping down and that became the AKM um, which is your typical stamp of what you see today which most people note as the AK-47 um, which it's really the AKM-47 um, uh, truthfully I can't even keep up with how many countries um, have produced the AK I mean I can but um, it's more than five uh, yeah yeah significantly yeah. more than yeah. five um, when I see about the differences, um, to me, you know, does not really matter the country of origin as much, except for there's one one little niche, and uh, both of you have been to Iraq, um, the Iraqi Tabak. Um, that is a very desirable parts kit to, to get. You know, last time I looked, it was like $5,000 for yeah. one. See, to me, it's desirable... That or like the Egyptian, the be, Mahdi, because of the region. Because yeah. you know that's like, for me, it has personal value, and like I didn't even realize that it had other value than that. And see, that's that's one of the things you know. Um, knowing what I know now, I wish I would have grabbed a lot of stuff. Uh, I mean, <laughs> believe me, I'm not you know considering. Yeah, never mind. I'm Keep not. Going. I'm yeah. not trying to be Oliver Twist, you know, and be like more porous, sir, but. There's a lot of things I wish I would have grabbed. Mahdi's is one of them. Yeah. Um, years ago, I passed up on a Steyr Mahdi. Um, it was a thousand bucks, and I was like, "Yeah, right." Now I look on GunBroker. You know, a couple years later, four thousand dollars, really? Okay. Um, but you know, the the Tabuk and uh, like the Yugoslavian variants, they're they're one and the same. Um, they will throw most people through a curveball um, because there's multiple differences. It's, it's not a traditional AKM. It has a, a lot of features that are the same, um, but parts compatibility is very different. Um, they kind of, when they were told as like, you know, a Soviet bloc country that, hey, this is what you have to adopt, they were like, okay, but we're going to put our own twist to it. Um, same with Czechoslovakia with the VZ-58. Um, they were like, okay, nope, we're not even going anywhere close to this. We're going to do a proprietary magazine and everything else. Um, but, and even Jarrett stumped me on this, you know, the other month about in the end of Full Metal Jacket, it was uh, VZ-58. Yes. And I, I, I even came up here, you know, ran up. I was like, you were right. Um, which was hard for me to swallow, but I was like, whatever. Um, that, that's, you know, like I said, it, we were the watching Full Metal Jacket, Deadly Weapons or, or, or uh, yeah. Red Dawn, so I and saw that a million times. I was going to say, you've probably seen it more than me, even though I've seen it significantly, but I've seen so He's many. older. He is. He is. Wiser, I'll give him that. By a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't want to say that, but you did. I don't know. Both of you look like you have more gray than I do, but that's, anyways, keep going. Well, see, that's just uh, uh, distinguished. <laughs> he has that light hair, so the grays blend it, in. It hides. You know, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. I have a true salt and pepper going on here. You're like a, a salt and, I don't know, allspice or something. There, oh, yeah. Yeah. Very distinguished, though. Um, So the question that you asked was about, um, like, the different variants and stuff. Yeah, what, what are we looking for? Like, wh- when I... 
when I pick up an AK at a gun store or, or a gun show or I go to a museum and see something, what's, what's something I should be looking for? Let's take that museum. I, I'm going to someplace that has a lot of different ones. What are some things to look out for? Um, so it, it kind of depends. This is where that's, that's a pretty broad question. Yes, I narrowed it down. <laughs> um, so depending on what you're, you're wanting to know, um, it, it's pretty easy to identify a milled gun over a stamped gun. Typically the dead giveaway is the lightning cut, um, in the front of the receiver. You know, you'll see the lightning cut and right away you're like, oh, that's a milled gun. Um, when, so to clarify for those that are listening, not watching on the, the video, uh, the lightning cut, is, it's not a lightning bolt cut into the front of the receiver. It, it's, oh. yeah, yeah, right. Um, I, we won't talk about that story, but that's a funny story. Uh, it's where they've actually taken out metal to yep. make it lighter yep. for the, the smaller Russians. Not the uh, Ivan Dragos. I don't know if that was the original intention, but we'll go with that. Okay. Because that's simple. <laughs> um, another dead giveaway is when you see rivets on the sides of the receivers. That will indicate it's a stamp gun. 100% dead ringer. Um, because on a milled gun, you know, your front trunnion is part of the receiver. Uh, your rear trunnion is part of the receiver. It's, it's all machined. Um, with a AKM, a stamped variant, you're going to see rivets. Um, your front and rear trunnion are, you know, put into place and then riveted in. Um, now, that is specific to, like, the the Kalashnikov family of rifles. Now, what I'll call AK variants, like the, the Velmet, the Galil, um, you know, they are milled receiver guns, you know. So, the Galil, more or less... The tubular stock and stuff like that has a lightning cut and stuff like that, um, chambered in you know uh, five five six. Um, it has a very distinct look, but uh, many people right away will be like, "Oh, that's some kind of AK." Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the velvet. When people look at that, they're like, "Oh, that 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 that's like uh, is is that one of those Sig Sauer?" No, it's 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 a velvet. It's a finished velvet. And then you know you try to explain that um, the Kalashnikov inspired them you know with a lot of the design features um to make uh, something similar but put improvements upon it um and both the galil and the velvet I, I i absolutely love I, I think they were a proper improvement of the original you know for a couple different reasons you know if I have to look at, you know, one new production gun that comes out that I'm very impressed with, it's um, what they're making at IWI, you know, the new Galils. Uh, at first, I was not too wild about them because I've always been kind of anti, I was very purist for a long time. Like, don't mess with it. Leave it alone. Mm -hmm. Stop putting parts on it that could fail. Because, again, the the reliability and being robust is something that I'm all about. Um, after really getting to be hands-on with the 762 by 39 Galil Ace, I'm a firm believer and a big supporter of it. Uh, so, I know my opinion. I assume I know Jared's opinion. You think IWI should scrap the Tavor completely and just focus <laughs> their efforts on making... So, how much time do you have? Because I can go on 9,000 tyrants on how much I dislike the Tavor. And I own one. So I have every right okay. in the world to complain. All right, complain. let me jump in because we can't spend a lot, a lot of time on that. So 
I went to Israel when I was with fifth group. <laughs> we worked with some of their commandos. They had a choice. They ran M4s. So mm-hmm. if they didn't run their Travor, instead they ran M4s, what does that say? All right, we, we can move on. Definitely end of discussion on that one. That's just testament. So if you work at IWI or you have connections, uh, what we're saying is we would love to play with the Galil. Um, and, and honestly, we would love to play with the Travor so we can be proven wrong. There you go. <laughs> you know, with, with the with the Galil, um, I did a J set down in. Uh, oh, I don't know if I can say or not. A a country. Yeah, a country south of of the border. They might serve burritos there. Yeah, M- maybe not. Maybe more plantains. But a- anyways, oh. um, they they had Galils, and that was the first time I got to spend a lot of time running them on the range. And yeah, that, that's a good system. It's you know. As the uh, a descendant of of that AK, you know, it's my, it's it's really good. I, my I really experience has just always been like someone will have one, yeah. and I'll put a magazine through it, and I'll be like, not bad, I, you know, kind of like this. But I don't have that like depth of knowledge of one. There, there might be, yeah. In fact, I know there is some uh, photos floating around on social media. I'm wearing a Pencott Green Zone uniform instead of our standard uniform. With me, this is one of the days that I was spending a lot of time with the Galil, playing with it. Yeah. Anyways. No, I'll, I'll tell you, honestly, when I first looked at it, I'm like, really? Like, you took something that looks so, like, the original Glio to me is, is a work of art. It, it, it's beautiful. Just, you know, especially with the wood, you know, wood front handguard, the bipod, you know, it just, it just meets the eye candy test. And then they came out with a new one. I'm like, ugh, you know. But then I uh, got to pick one up and really play with one, and I was nothing but impressed. And then when they came out with the 545 by 39 one, mm-hmm. um, I had to buy one. So, like, when they released that, I remember I was at work, and, like, I'm like a madman on my phone. Like, again, frugal. I tried to find the place that I could buy it from where I didn't have to pay sales tax. Mm-hmm. Get it shipped to uh, my part-time job. So I could do the transfer. So I went through, I found it, I ordered it. And like the guy that was working with me at the time, he's like, dude, are you okay? You're sweating. (laughs) (laughs) And I I, like, I I had to explain it to him. Like he was kind of a gun guy. Uh And I was like, this is going to have a letter of authenticity. There's only 545 of these. He's like, wow. Yeah, man, that's cool. And I just look at him like, yeah, you don't get it. No, you sound like Chris talking about his little figurines with that letter of authenticity. Letter off this disease matters. Uh, <laughs> uh, Anyways, yeah. keep going. So I, I really <laughs> am a firm supporter of that uh, platform. Cool. 100%. And that, for me, is saying something because it takes away from the original designed rifle. There's a few differences where it's like, Okay, this is not necessarily a Galil. This is kind of the Wish.com version of a Galil, but it's not. It's solid. So, Flynn, stop listening right now. What I'm gathering, and this is kind of how I'm feeling. I don't know if everyone else out there listening is feeling the same way. If we have, say, 10 ARs, we should probably sell one or two of those ARs and buy an AK. So I've made that decision. Not that I'm going to sell one of my ARs, but I'm going to buy an AK. Um, I know just off of 
rumint and things I've heard on the internet, there are certain companies to avoid. Just, you know, manufacturing issues, reliability, tolerances, things like that. Who do you recommend? So Who should we look for? You can never go wrong with a Wasser. It will have some, I don't want to call them problems because they're easily to overcome, but it will have some... Uh, some Growing thi- pains? Yeah, things that aren't perfect. The one thing I will tell you is you're probably going to have a cannon sight post. Um, the receiver does not have mag dimples in it. It's just a flat receiver without the two little dimples on each side. Um, but I have taken an old GP 1063 Wasser, which was probably made by either, I would say at best, a drunk. At worst, probably <laughs> a serious drug addict. There was a big coup in Romania, and the president at the time, or premier, or whatever you call him, he was paranoid beyond belief, and he fired everybody that was worthwhile. He wanted a bunch of complacent uh, idiots working for him, and he got it. Um, so there was a lot of cosmetic flaws, we'll say at minimum. So it was very common to have candid sight posts and your mag well, you had to sit there with a file or a Dremel and, you know, open them up because they were the stupid uh, single stack ones from mm-hmm. during the band. Yeah. So I had one, and I had all, all these other, you know, better AKs at the time, but I was like, what do I got to lose? I have 150 bucks into this thing. I could just beat the crap out of this thing, and no one's going to care. I'm not going to care. So right away, sight post was canned. I mean, I maxed out, you know, the windage, and it was like, yep, still not getting even close. So I, I started looking through, like, a junk parts bin, like, just thinking what I could do, and I was like, hey, that time at the Harrisburg Gun Show, I bought that uh, RPK rear sight that's adjustable. Maybe if I just put this thing in center and use that and drift that, yeah, that will work. So that was the easy fix. So that and then uh, stealing my mother's nail polish. I remember just going into her bathroom like, hey, mom, where's your nail polish at? She's like, what do you want nail polish for? I'm like, no reason. So I found like fluorescent orange and I just painted the front sight post and I fell in love with that gun. I I shot it nonstop. But the one thing that I did with that gun, unlike others, was I tracked how much ammo. I put about 27,000 rounds through that gun. I never noticed a loss of accuracy, um, never a problem. I went through three Tapco triggers, you know, juvenile delinquent, dumping mags left and right, yeah. you know, just being an idiot. Back when you could afford to do something like that? Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny. You're saying, yeah, a $150 gun. So that gun right now is $1,500. Yeah. You <laughs> you literally could find somebody on GunBroker, and they would pay it right now with the desperation. Um you know, new production wasps are out there, but if someone's seen that and they couldn't find a new production one, they'd be like, oh, yeah, i got to have it. I have a question. Um, maybe we'll edit this out, maybe we won't. But I have a um, Type 56 Norinco, brand new, in the box. Uh, the only thing is, like, the, the, the wrap that it came in, customs cut it to, to check. But, you know, like... In the box, in the styrofoam, with the three mags and the bayonet and the manual and and and, and everything to include like the little uh, like oil bottle. Yeah, the oil bottle, but they're uh, what do you call it? Almost like an oxygen absorber type yep. thing that is like all like with tentacles hanging off or whatever. What does something like that run these days, gun broker? 
also I've seen them. Seven hundred dollars. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and and it's never been fired. <sighs> Being exactly as you describe it, I see no problem in between three to four thousand dollars right now. Yeah, and that would probably move pretty quickly. A lot of it's kind of like the baseball card market it's starting to come back because guys are starting to rekindle their their pastimes like like the the old football player in his glory days on the gridiron. Yeah. Um, so a lot of guys are like, man, I had one of those. Oh, I really wish I still had it. Oh, wait a minute. Well, I can still get one because now I make you know six figures a year yeah. and I'm willing to pay for it. So that's what I see those things moving for. And then you have your typical internet gun nerd junkie who has to have every status symbol that he can post on Instagram. Yeah. So they will pay a premium for that status symbol. And that's, I have some nice guns, but even like nice meaning what other people would call trophies, but still to me, those are tools. This is the only firearm that I have that I'm, I, I like feel embarrassed. I, I haven't shot the thing. It's, it's, I'm not going to shoot it. It's strictly a, I thought uh, we had a strict, no wall hanger policy. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not on the wall either. It's a, uh, Strictly an investment, but mm. all right, just curious. I have to say it's a great investment. Um, truthfully, whenever you put it up, it will sell. Yeah. It's field of dreams. You know, if you build it, they will come. Yeah. If you post it, they will come. Hmm. Okay. Anyways. I... So any other companies that Wasser? So that the Wasser is uh, the origins are from Romania. Mm -hmm. um, it's made in, uh, I'm not going to pronounce this right, Carrick Factory. Um, so it's made in a military factory. The only downfall currently is the factory furniture. They got stupid cheap, and uh, even my one coworker, Joe, um, well, it didn't end very well for the furniture after you know the the first testing yeah. of the gun. It ended and, poorly. And Joe would have been here tonight, but he's sick, so well, that's a rain check. Joe's going to be on here sometime in the future. Yeah, definitely would be a good person to have. Has a lot of knowledge. Very very smart. Um, you know, talking to him, uh, he's one of the guys that I told of all the stuff that I destroyed. And I, after I picked him up off the floor and wiped the tears, he was really devastated. Um, a lot of the furniture, he was saying, is it's very hard to come by, you know, the, the imports and stuff like that. Are there any companies here stateside that are just remanufacturing that stuff? Palmetto State. Okay. And at first, when they came out with their first uh, Type 1, we'll call it, uh, it was it was a joke. It, it was really a joke. Like, I'm on a couple different Facebook groups and stuff like that, and it's kind of replaced the AK files because it's it's more condensed. It's not all broad. You don't mm -hmm. have to, you know, the search feature is, is awesome, which most idiots, even though it says in the banner, don't ever use the search feature, and they ask stupid questions. But the Palmetto State, when the first one came out, it, it, was, it was just garbage. You know, it was casted trunniums. You know, guns were coming apart. They came out with number two. They tried to use milled trunnions, which was a good improvement, but not up to snuff even close. So um, Cameron, uh, Cameron Trempler is a guy that does R&D for PSA. He comes on the group, and you know right away everybody it just turned into a dumpster fire, insulting him and stuff. And the thing that I'll give him is he stuck with it. He's like, look, I want to make this right. So they came out with the Gen 3. The Gen 3 passed every test I've ever seen. Uh, somebody that I know that works at Battlefield Las Vegas, they put 50,000 rounds through it, you know, because they machine gunned it and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. 50,000 rounds through it, not a problem, not a hiccup. 
to me, it was like, okay, this thing's definitely, definitely worth looking into. So I talked someone into buying one because availability at the time and their price range, it, it just worked out. They beat the snot out of it. I helped beat the snot out of it. I donated a thousand rounds to the cause because I was like, yo, I want to see. Thing held up like a tank. Palmetto State just keeps improving. They keep asking questions. They keep wanting to know what people want. So they are doing everything they can to do the exact opposite of what like H&K does or... Uh, well, that's because we're not their customer. H&K, you know, oh, you're not a country. Exactly. 100% hates customers. So they have now come out with 100 series variants that are awesome. You know, there's occasionally some some issues with any manufacturing. But for the large majority, they are to the T what I call Kalashnikov. Uh, the the Gen 3 and beyond, uh, the 100 series, they just recently came out with their AK-74, and people are loving it. They can't, they can't keep them in stock. Can't keep them in So you say the 100 series. Um, what do you mean? I mean, I know what that is. Jared knows what that is. What does that mean to the people that may not be AK guys? So the 100 series was a modernization of the old. Um, in the 90s, they came out with what was called the AN-94. Um Shot 545 by 39, but completely different system. They tried to make it work, but they ended up going back with, okay, this this was cool and interesting, but Kalashnikov works. We're going to stick with Kalashnikov. So it was when they decided to modernize. Um, so typically, you know, you have your triangle folder. You have your 24-millimeter uh, front uh, sight block that has your thread point and stuff like that it's more or less just a uh, modernization that's the best way that i can say it okay whenever anyone brings up the 100 series i i think of the um fires two rounds the cable system i can't remember which one that is 94 is oh that that is 94 yeah that's not a 100 series it's not a 100 series but but the 100 series triggers me thinking that. Don't worry. Everyone actually gets confused with that quite a bit. Okay, no. good. Then I'm in good company. Or maybe I'm not, but I'm just a, another idiot in the pond. So is this one okay? The, yep, the Gen 3. Okay. So yeah. I, I'm uh, in an arms room somewhere on the East Coast uh, with my ODA. And this arms room is a museum, and they have everything from around the world. That sounds really cool. It is very cool. And the guy that that runs this place, he is recently retired from the military. He started in that arms room as an armorer when he was a private. And somehow this guy managed to spend his entire 20-year career to retire out of this facility. Never went anywhere else. So he spent like 20 years, and now he's like 21, 20-plus 20 um, at this uh, this location. So we're in there, and we are... Party foul right yeah. there. Man, yeah. talk about a never to return. Oh, right. I'm banned. Sorry. So uh, <laughs> I'm just going to glaze over that. You know, I was trying to play that out. We're hanging out. Oh, I'll dime them out. Going through all these weapon systems, and myself and the other two Bravos on the team, because at this point I was Fox, uh, we're just a kid in a candy store. I mean... I'm a big heavy weapons guy, and they had heavy weapons, and I'm playing with things that... You know, different KP KPV variants that went on the different um, hind D's and stuff. I'm 
I'm really nerding out here, right? And uh, I look over, and there's one of my Deltas. And he has the, the AN-94. And he's in there, he's looking at it. And I'm like, oh, hey, that's kind of cool. And I walk over just as he starts taking the thing apart. Oh, no. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he doesn't take it apart gunsmith style or 18 bravo style uh-huh. he takes apart you know 18 delta step well i'll put a pile of stuff over here i'll put a pile of stuff over there by the time i make it to him now we just get a pile of gun guts and this is a very complicated system and so i'm like okay i can figure this out i can figure this out i can't figure this out <laughs> <laughs> the other bravo comes over i can't figure this out so we go get the guy who these are all his babies i mean he like uh-huh. how embarrassed were you there Oh, we're past embarrassment. Yeah, okay? yeah. I mean, I'm like, hey, yeah. I know I told the guys not to take anything apart, but this grown man, it looked like we're like, yeah. So he decided to take your child's appendix out, even though he didn't need his appendix out. <laughs> Yay, 18 Delta. Yeah. Um, and so uh, you're being generous. I'm being generous. Yeah. I, I just call him my nurse. He had a nurse. Yeah. Uh, Delta was a good guy. Just uh-huh. yeah. He was in tears. He was like, you have no idea how hard that is to put back together. Oh, no, I do. Because I tried. And, and I hope I didn't break it. That is a complicated system. Mm-hmm. Especially to think for an uh, individual infantryman rifle. Like, I mean, I've, I've worked on some complicated machine guns. You know, the 23-millimeter uh, uh, ZSU. That thing is is ridiculous. 42 moving parts in the bolt carrier. Swiss group, watch. Right? Yeah. But that's a giant machine gun that's towed behind a truck. Oh, yeah. This is designed to be handed to a conscript? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can see why it didn't stick around very long. <laughs> no. It, it, it literally, there was many a times where someone tried to take it apart and uh, it didn't end well. Yeah. So my question is, the armor, how was his reaction? Was it like, oh, yeah, no problem? Oh, no, he was. He wanted to throttle all of us and kick us out of there. I'm sure. He, he couldn't because, you know. We were honored guests and continue to put our booger eating fingers all over everything. You know, I went out on a, I did, did a thing, right? I did a thing. <laughs> People are getting so annoyed at I us know, with I this. Know. So I did this thing. And then the next day I happened to glance at one of my nurse's guns. I'm like, bro, what, what happened to your front side post this is mark 18 and the flip down side yeah. thing is mashed and bent to the side and never like i'm amazing like stayed on the gun itself how mangled it was and so the nurse looks at me this delta looks at me and goes oh we weren't up armored uh um suburbans that's why the door wouldn't shut <laughs> come on man you know delta's supposed to be the smartest guy on the team right like so uh-huh. he just sitting repeatedly trying to slam this up armored suburbans door shut on the side of his Mark 18, just mangles the thing. Why won't this lock? Oh, man. <sighs> Nurses. Anyways, I don't know if that's through the AKs, but but that, that's where we're currently at with this podcast. Back to AKs. That's <laughs> right, back to AKs. Um, well, we, we had to, you know, kind of diverge because now Jared is literally rubbing his hands together. I'm assuming you're looking at uh, Palmetto State Armory right now. Looking at guns, just like, ooh. I I almost just bought one. (laughs) Seriously, I'm like, you know what? Abby's not paying attention. I might be able to afford this and get away with it. If you buy one, buy two, and I'll go ahead and... Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, bro. All right, that's a done deal. If if I'm going down, you you can go down with me. All right. 
It's always fun to have company That's when you're right. in trouble. Uh, fun story on that. Okay, I grew up in Los Angeles, right? And uh, we had the uh, L.A. River, which is basically concrete. Aqueduct. Uh, aqueduct, yeah. If, you, if you've seen... Uh, yep, yep, yep. If you've seen Terminator 2, you know, and they're riding the motorcycle and all that. Um, so I'm playing there, and I'm a little kid. And I start to slip, and I'm sliding down, uh, you know, I'm with my friends. So what do I do? I grab my buddy. Not because I needed security so I didn't fall into Because I didn't want to go by myself. I'm going, if I'm going down, I'm taking you with me. Slide into that, that there, know, nasty water. There is truth to the statement, misery likes company. And the way that I look at it is, in for a penny, in for a pound. It, and it looks like I'm not going to get in trouble. It tonight. was in stock. Just a minute ago, and now it's not. Yeah, now it's not. I, I, as, you know, as we constantly, you know. yeah, as I was telling the story about when it's my nurse's fault that. Again, the 18 yeah, Delta. Yeah. Mm. They move that quickly. Yeah. Uh, normally, somebody will come on one of the AK groups on Facebook and say, they're in stock. And then I'm like, well, oh, I've been not behaving so well so i'm gonna pass okay no I'm, I'm definitely doing it and i get on sold out email yep so i'll put the whole thing and i get emails but then i check my emails not too often so then i miss out i'm like oh cool it's back in oh that was from yesterday doesn't work out too well for me one of my favorite ak's is actually a custom one that was built for me by martin from uh from mossy forge he doesn't do it anymore um but at one point he was building them, and it's, I think it was called the Nomad. It's a really put together, you know, lightweight AK. Yeah, actually, you um, it had a a high uh, trunnion on it, and you switched out, and you, yep. you put that, that low trunnion on it for me. Yeah, and uh, I'll tell you honestly, he did a really good job of the build. Um, the one thing that I did like that he did for the rear rivets, he did like a Kyber Pass style, where you know he did a flat, like where they mm -hmm. flattened out. Yeah. So when I did that, I was like, well, I like that he did that, so I copied that. A lot of the reason why I like that is, especially with a folder, people will see it and they'll be like, oh, why is that crust? Well, they did that with folders a lot of times for clearance. It's shockingly enough or not, like a, something that's the size of a chocolate chip can really jam you up. Yeah. So uh, that whole entire build, uh, I'm still curious. I, I'm thinking he used a Romanian kit. I didn't really get to delve into it too much because I remember doing it for you. I was like, okay, I got to get this done because I had like, a whole mess of stuff going on at that point so i got that done but i want to say it was a romanian kit but i mean he did that build justice yeah he definitely did well he's a an artisan blacksmith so he's made me some real you know fighting uh, axes viking axes uh you know nothing huge but you know the lodestone knives yeah yes yeah the he's made the uh the light fighter for us um so i wouldn't mind bring he's out of colorado but i wouldn't mind bringing him out here again and uh so no, you, you, you could have that conversation with him about it. I would love to. Um, you turned me on to him a couple of years back, and then I started following him and seeing a lot of the work that he's done. And it, to me, I admire old school craftsmanship, like old school blacksmithing and stuff. So a lot of his work, I think, is, is beautiful. Yeah. It's just very eye for detail, true testament to handmade. Yeah. You know. That's good stuff. So we've talked. You, you described some of the differences, some of the stuff you like. Um, we mentioned some of the companies that, that are making some good stuff. So what are some things that people should definitely look out for to, to not get? So anything, I don't want to say anything because Palmetto State is a U.S. build. 
uh, but century. Uh, so some of the century imports throughout the years have been rather hit or miss. They have been, uh, you know, pretty good for the most part. Uh, a lot of their Yugoslavian stuff, Serbia, uh, Zastava, has been problematic to say the least. I have a, a sensory arms uh, set me. I love it. Uh, I I just got one. It, the fire control group has worn out, so it's now a binary trigger, and so I need to replace that. I know that it's oh that's fun. Oh, but that means there's a problem, and I should fix this thing. Yes. Um, but yeah, that's that's a. I haven't had any bad experience personally with that that weapon, but I've just heard so much about the AKs that they do. That it, it puts me off. I, I saw one uh, at Sportsman's Warehouse a uh, um, couple days ago, and they wanted like $1,100. Probably the Visca. Yeah, and I, I was just like, I don't know. I don't know if it's... Uh... So they came out with a, a milled gun called the C-39 a few years ago. And I remember I was like, okay, well, I'll give them, you know, I'll, I'll give them that. They're trying. When I started seeing receiver swell, I was like, oh, that's bad. That's real bad. And when I started working at my part-time job, one came in, the owner um, asked me to take a look at it, and I was like, that has receiver swell. So what I showed him, you know, what was what with it, I pulled back on the charging handle, and it ended up jumping out of the receiver (laughs) and blew the dust cover off and everything. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, that's safe. He contacted Century, and they did whatever they did. Um, fast forward probably about eight months after that, I belonged to a local gun club here. Uh, a guy got one at another gun shop, and he was shooting it. And, you know, he was talking to me, you know, making small talk, and I told him, I said, yeah, I'm not really a fan of that. I said, if I was you, just make sure you wear glasses. Uh, fast forward a couple months later, I ran into him, and uh, he... Tell me he had an eye patch. Didn't have an eye patch, but something was up with his nose. It was a little fatter, Mm -hmm. and you know, I you know I just started talking to him. I was trying not to notice it, and he's like, "Yeah, hey, I want to tell you, you were right about that C thirty nine." And I was like, "Oh yeah." He's like, "So the carrier ended up jumping out, blew the dust cover and stuff against my face. I ended up having to get two stitches in my nose. Uh, Did something, I guess, cartilage wise damage or something like that." And I was like, you got to be kidding me. He's like, yeah. He's like, I contacted Century. Um, the gun shop contacted Century, uh, sent the gun back, and they haven't given me any type of evaluation or anything yet. But 100%, if they come back and tell me it wasn't their fault, I'm going to try to sue them. And I was like, well, unfortunately, good luck trying to sue a gun company. It's it's going to be rather tough, and you're going to have a, a long road. If I was you, I would just get your money back and learn it as a lesson learned. So that was another rendition of one of their failures. Then they came out with what was called the RAS-47, complete garbage rod. And now they have this new thing, Visca, which they have certain Instagram and uh, YouTube personalities really pushing them. And there's a couple out there that I'm very disappointed in because I have great respect for a few of them. I understand everyone's got to make a living, yeah, but... I don't want to make a living on the cost of someone else's safety. So, so what's the difference then? Um, because they cl- clearly have some problems. And then we were talking earlier about Palmetto State Arms. They had problems. What, what's the difference between the two? Palmetto, Palmetto just kept working it and working and, and, work, and listening to the feedback and trying to improve it, where Century's not? So 
the thing with Palmetto is Palmetto, they wanted, they want to grow. So a company called DDI, uh, originally they were Waffen Works. Um, they started their own forging process to do, you know, uh, forged trunnions and stuff like that. When they were low on cash, finally Palmetto offered them a deal so they could obtain their equipment and all the stuff that they developed. Um, nobody can produce an AK like a communist country can because they, well, of the suffering of their people, produced that gun because they put all their resources into it. Rightfully so. Century's been in business forever. It's, well, we can do this and people accept it. No, that's that's not true. Now, they have made some smart moves, uh, especially with their uh, Set Me um, clones. They have PTR collaborate and do the builds for them, which mm-hmm. PTR, you know, <clears throat> to me, other people disagree. They have a pretty good reputation with, you know, your, your G3 uh, roller lock guns and stuff like that. So they do do collaborations. Their VZ-58 was uh, a collaboration with CNC Warrior. So that's, you know, that's a decent gun. But anything that they say is 100% made in the U.S. from them is something that I would avoid like the plague. Uh, Another company to avoid like the plague is IO Inc. They are out of business, but still their guns surface from time to time. Um, if you look at the rivets on the gun, you don't have to know anything about AKs. You look at one that's properly built and you look at an IO and you're like, that one's junk. But they still prided themselves on how great their guns were. Um, I always called them a shoulder, a shoulder fired IED. They were, (laughs) yeah, they, they were just bad news. So those are two companies in general that I would stay away from, um, there's a couple others that are trying to make improvements that I won't mention because I, I hope that they work them out. Yeah. Um, but truthfully, in this day and age, if you want an American-made Kalashnikov PSA, is your way to go, without a shadow of doubt. And I will put a PSA up against a Wasser, and I think the results will be the same. Um, the one thing right now is the Wasser. You have you know traditional uh, AKM. You know uh, your a one millimeter receiver, uh, standard 45 degree gas block, even though that they've kind of changed that. It's a new mold. Uh, you know, you still have your 14 and a half by left thread. So it, it's kind of your old school way, but it's reliable. Uh, but PSA is doing a lot of like fun stuff, like 100 series and mm-hmm. stuff like that, modernizing. So I, I'm really a big fan. Cool. Uh, I, uh, years ago now, man. Dating yourself again. I am. I am. yourself again. Um, right when I first started uh, training and stuff, there was a, a group that invited me to go help them out with uh, they're having a, a fun day for, for other people and uh, a lot of AKs there. And with all my background with group and everything, plus owning them, I had nothing but good experiences with AKs. So I go, and these guys were trying to make the AK something that it wasn't. They're trying to really tighten the tolerances and try to make some sub angle gun. And uh, for the first time in, in forever, I mean, in my entire life, I, I've seen AKs fail and fail and fail and ma- ma- malfunction after malfunction. It just, it blew me away. It just, somebody trying to make it something that, that it's not. Well, and you see a lot of that nowadays. Uh, and I'm going to drop this name, even though I have great admiration and respect for the guy, Mark Krebs, uh, Krebs Customs. Mark has made some... Yeah, I'm not even familiar with them. Um, so the... 
the most iconic thing is the Krebs safety that everyone's seen. You know, it's got the, the little, uh, we'll say, the little piece of metal off the side, so it's easier to manipulate okay. the safety. Um, that is a problematic piece. Uh, I've seen quite a few um, negligent discharges because of that. Somebody getting excited, trying to go off the you know, safety really quick, and then right into the trigger. It's literally like a funnel right into the fire control okay. group. Um, everyone wants to put that on there because instead of, like Chris mentioned earlier about just learning the weapon system, it's a hack, it's a cheat, which is something that our society has is, is really fallen in love with in the past 20 years, I've noticed. It, it's, it's grown kind of disgusting. Instead of just working hard and learning something, it's, well... There's an app for that, or this or that, and yeah. people people trying to do that with the Kalashnikov. I've I've seen many many failures with that. Uh, it's gotten to the point where people will sacrifice reliability for vanity, and that's that's not what it's about to me. I kind of I try not to be judgmental, but yeah, I'm very judgmental, uh, and I'm just like. You know, instead of putting all that crap on your gun, maybe spend, uh, you know, a couple extra dollars on a case of ammo and maybe uh, seek out a company like Lodestone and seek some training. Yeah. I mean, it, it's you might learn a thing or two. Learning is something that a lot of people have forgotten. Well, that's a great segue. I, <laughs> almost as if it was planned. It wasn't, but, you know, I'll take advantage of it. <laughs> we, uh, on July 15th, that's our next... Uh, AK day, so it's it's a day where it's nothing but but AK. So people will be learning, um, you know, bring your Kalashnikov, be, be learning that manual of arms. So it's similar, of course, to like a regular carving classes. And AKs are certainly welcome to any of our carving classes, but this is dedicated specifically to that platform. No, and that's that's actually really cool. I mean, I've taken advantage of some of your carving classes. Of course, I ran an AK, mm-hmm. um, but it, it it's really funny. A lot of people are like, oh, I can't do that. I'm like, no, you definitely can. And then they're like, oh, I don't want to be weird. I'll probably be the only guy there. I'm like, who cares? Like, are you that worried? Are, are you that worried about, like, what someone thinks? Or are you worried about becoming proficient with something that might save your life? Yeah. I'm more concerned with that. Yeah, absolutely. There, there are too many people in this world that are concerned about what the the optic of the others around them are. Yeah. So one of the... Uh... Day three, uh, rifle level one of the marksmanship classes, day three, which is malfunctions, we had somebody bring a, an AK. So he's the sole guy running an AK in a malfunctions class with all these ARs. And uh, it, it was fun trying to set his up like the others to you know, for malfunctions. <laughs> and, uh, and tap rack bang is, is great, you know, because it's that flat magazine for the AR, but now the, this curved thing. Anyways, at the end when we ran the, uh, the three little pigs drill, when we ran with, uh, you know, we set up three different rifles with malfunctions and under time to win a prize, come up and, you know, fix them. And so, of course, we threw his AK out there. And what was funny is it took everyone a while to try to figure out the AK because they were working with ARs all day long. But him, he goes running up, grabs his AK, gets the thing working just fine. And then he picks up uh, the next AR. And what does he do? He picks it up with his right hand and he goes to, you know, holds it to go to shoot, click, nothing. So then he goes to tap rack. So he taps and the next thing you know, he, he reaches underneath to where he's charging it, <laughs> and he's waving his hand, and he's like, why aren't I grabbing anything? And then he finally realized, oh, yeah, then he reached back. And what was funny is after he fixed that AR, he had the last AR, did the exact, the exact same thing, tap, and then he's waving his hand on the other side, like trying to find that, that charging handle. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> 
It, that that's something that a lot of people don't understand. Is, oh, I, I built an AR. I, I know I know how to build guns. No, you put no. together a puzzle kit. Yeah, it was, it's, it's Legos, was, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It was designed that way, where you're actually manufacturing an AK. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why it has always surprised me how little they cost. I mean, you talked about it. It's because they're, you know, we're not paying for the labor. Um, yep. <laughs> but there is a lot of effort that goes into it, and there's a lot of craftsmanship that goes into it. Um, there, I know there are a lot of guys like you that, that do this stuff. If you're out there and looking at buying an AK, don't hesitate to pay the money for that craftsmanship. I mean, this is not watch a 30-minute video and know how to, you know, put in a... Yeah. To build an upper receiver. Uh, you know, an, an AR upper receiver is nothing special. Um, And put it this way, uh, you and I believe that it's nothing special, but I have seen so many people oh, watch no, a YouTube okay, video. Th- okay, I do take that back. I have watched people come in and say, can you put this flash hider on? Because they don't understand how to use a, an armor's wrench. So oh, yeah. I guess there are people out there. Um, you know what I saw one time in a class? It was a multi-day class, and some somebody had a, there might have, might have been an 80% lower, might have been a, a regular that they bought. Anyways, they, they built it. You no, know, it must have been an 80% that they, they did. And they got some of the stuff wrong, some of the, uh, you know, just off a little bit. And they purchased a, a Geisley trigger. Mm-hmm. So the guy came to our class one day wasn't happening very well you know just just there's he's having problems because he did it himself he did it wrong mm-hmm. anyways he, he called Geisley and because you know we're here in Pennsylvania Pennsylvania mm-hmm. company and you know what those guys did even though they knew that guy is the one who screwed up they actually uh got with him and, and knew, he, knew he was doing a class yeah. and they held his hand to fix and you know to, to polish here on the receiver to file there a little bit so, so the tolerances would actually fit and their product would work and then uh, they did it for nothing you know what a good company then he yeah. they he came out the next day and uh, it was fixed and his his didn't have any problems with this system nice yeah anyways nice. just ra- random thought I know it's got nothing to do with the AKs but just Man, what a good company. Yeah, Just, I'm, I'm not being paid by Bill Geisley or ALG or anything like that, but the one thing I will give them a testament to is they stand behind their product and they stand behind their customers. Yeah. P leads the way. Yes, it, yes, it does. <laughs> so, Keith, can you uh, talk to us a little bit about um, what's the difference between an AK-47 and an AK-74? Other than I, I know it's you know the round, but, but what are some of the other differences? So... I'll start off and just gloss over the history. Uh, again, um, started picking up our rounds in Vietnam, Soviet advisors, and they just saw the merit behind, you know, the smaller caliber. Um, so then 1974 rolls around, and they produce and come out with the AK-74. Uh, so the main differences, truthfully, are instead of a 45-degree gas block, it's a 90-degree gas block. Um, uh, instead of a 14, this is, we're going to go with the original because yeah. there's many variants of things that are chambered in 545 by 39. Um, instead of going with a 14 by left thread pitch, it went with a 24 millimeter thread on a front sight block that's integrated into one. So the barrel itself is not threaded on, we'll say a traditional 74. The gas or the sight block, sorry, is threaded. Um, one of the key features 
behind the 74 that you'll see is the muzzle device. So the one thing that's funny about that muzzle device is it, it's a great muzzle device from factory. It, it, it does what it's supposed to do. It has a horrible flash pattern at night. The Soviet military, um, how they justified it is they're like, well, uh, it makes full auto controllable. So for every two of our guys they kill, we'll kill 10 of them, mm-hmm. which, well, I, I don't think is really good thinking, you know, uh, wanting to sacrifice any of your people. But, you know, that was their justification for it. At conscript army. But yes, very much so. Um, so the 74 saw its first major use in uh, Afghanistan in the 1980s. Uh, and it was very, very successful. Uh, another key feature with the 545 over the M43 or the 762 by 39 round um, is its ballistic advantage. Uh, it's great when it comes to yawing. Um, it also can uh, travel a little bit more distance. Um, it's a very devastating round on what it does into ballistic gelatin, soft tissue. Uh, a lot of people will say, you know, it was designed, the, the gun in the round was designed to be armor-piercing. That's not true. It was designed with a piece of carbon steel in it to be stable in flight. Because uh, you guys have seen 74 rounds, elongated, mm-hmm. you yeah. know. Um, I have heard it with the, the hollow cavity, it's supposed it, to be more devastating than when it, yeah. It, it definitely In the soft is. tissue when it crushes. Into soft tissue, but people believe it's this crazy penetrating round that's going to, no, that's not even close to the truth. Uh, I, I've heard that before, and I like to point out the fact that body armor wasn't prevalent when that was designed. It wasn't like it is now. Yeah. Not even close. Yeah. I mean, you have the flak jacket, but... Yeah, but even direct blast from you know a rifle round back then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's really there just to for shrapnel purposes. So lateral frag. Uh, yeah, and you know, uh, so that was also when the AKSU uh, seventy four came out. The what is known Americanized as the Krinkoff, mm-hmm. um, which to me is just a cool cool gun. Uh, I own one. Uh, it was on my bucket list to have one, and I had to, you know. What do they call it, the Krinkoff? So there's a lot of speculation about that. Uh, there used to I, be. I hoped he knew it. <laughs> there used to be a shop or uh, importer in Florida, and his name was uh, Krink. And uh, so then, you know, the, the off, you know, the people, I guess he was selling them or selling the parts kits or something. So then everyone started calling them Krinkoffs. Um, so if you go into Russia and you say Krinkoff, nowadays they probably know. Um, but 10 years ago, like, what's a Krinkoff, you know? Um, it's not like Magpul and the Zukov. Zukov has a meaning. Like, if you know anything about World War II, you know who Zukov was. I mean, Mikhail Kalashnikov definitely knew who Zukov was. Um, but uh, so that kind of paved the way for a lot of things. The AN-94, um, you know, modern AK-12, everything. It, it all started with the adoption in 74. Um, the magazines are different. We've went yeah. over this um, very painfully. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and that was truthfully where the Soviet military um, really started getting really creative with Bakelite. It's not actually Bakelite. It's a different formula, but generically it's called Bakelite. You started seeing, you know, uh, 
the beautiful natural orange bakelite you started seeing plums and then they got their production down to where now it's just you know it, it went to just what they call true blacks and now you have all your different variants of 74 yeah, max yeah. so that's a, a a pretty uh a pretty telltale sign of it and then you know not talking about the bakelite magazines not being an ak guy and all the ak guys out there are gonna probably like be irritated at me you can throw something at me uh we came across Ooh. some ak 47 bakelite mags and it was one of those things I'm like oh that's really cool that's really neat and then everyone's like ah well they don't go on the 74 so it, it, no one wants those They'll just get rid of those <laughs> and now that i'm starting to learn some of these things it's like again uh-huh. should have just thrown them in the bag so i've talked to many of guys who served in iraq and afghanistan and uh, they didn't see them while they were there in either place. But then quite a few of them went to Africa for multiple reasons. Okay. And they're like, dude, like, I knew they existed, but, like, I think they only exist in Africa. I'm like, no, man, they, they were made in Russia. You yeah. know, it's, it's okay. Yeah. Um, and the funniest thing is I remember about 10 years ago, you could get 74 bakes every day, all day. 7.62 bakes were always kind of tough to get. Well... Then you hear, you know, whenever they do hit the the market, people are like, oh, I remember, you know, 10 years ago they were, I'm like, no, you're full of it, man. Mm -hmm. Those were hard to come by 10 years ago. And if you did come by them, you were paying the same price, sometimes even more, depending on the difference between a long top and a regular. And, you know, people will be, so I made sure that whenever they came in, I bought them. I didn't grumble about the price. I just, okay, all right, just, just buy them. I'll work a couple hours overtime, whatever I got to do, just so I can obtain them. Um, and then 74 mags dried up. Uh, 74 mags, uh, that's one interesting thing that I can say. So I remember the first time I ever bought a Bakelite mag, I'm like, oh, there's no way that this will hold up to what steel does. I saw so much merit behind them within two days. So I can load an AK, you know, go through the manual of arms with the magazine and stuff pretty proficiently. Um, one thing that a lot of people do is they'll catch on the, uh, the sheet metal, uh, seams, the welds. And that happens very commonly. You ain't going to do that with a Bakelite mag. Nice, smooth, you know, and, uh, people are like, oh yeah, but they're not tough. So right now I'm definitely out of shape. I weigh 200 pounds. Uh, one thing that I do in front of people and I tell everyone that this is one of the testaments to uh, prove that your AK is worthy or your magazine is worthy is I'll do push-ups off of my AK balance on the magazine. Mm. And uh, I've never had a Bakelite have a problem. And I'm fat right now. <laughs> <laughs> What's uh, What are some of the um, ammunition options out there? I know just from my own experience. Green tracers. Well, I, that, that's exactly where I was going. Because uh, I... Being a young kid, right when the that first uh, assault weapons ban was going on, and plus uh, the banning the, the importation, young kid, weren't you like twenty five? No, <laughs> shush you. Um, you know, I picked up some of the old uh, steel core stuff, and then I also picked up some of the, the green tracer that was steel core stuff, and and some some other stuff. But that was the one thing when, uh, as I've described a couple times, that first firefight when I saw uh-huh. those green tracers. Yeah, yeah I was like, whoa. And that, that's that's my, what they look like when they're coming my direction. Exactly. Although those are still core. Hey, I got some of them. Yeah, exactly. But I also have like, uh, I've got some plastic tip that I picked up from somewhere. 
hollow points, uh, soft. T- I mean, all sorts of stuff that I've picked up that in 7.62 by 3.9. So a lot of that stuff is very collectible now. Um, steel core ammo and even uh, the steel core surplus and then moving into some of the Norinco commercial stuff with steel core. Yeah. Um, that is highly collectible right now. I mean, there's people that will just buy the boxes off of you, the empty boxes, just so they can have it for some type of modern firearms artwork. Really? Which, yeah, I think it's cool. I mean, I'd rather see that than a lot of, well, modern art. <laughs> At least oh, it's something okay, that I yeah. can stand behind. Um, so, t- talking about the boxes, your, your tuna cans, right? Um, we know the difficulty of cracking open a tuna can, and you know, you've heard people rubbing it against the asphalt to, uh, mm-hmm. to, to wear it down. I was in a mis- Middle Eastern country, and uh, they took a belt sander. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking... <laughs> This has really entertaining written all over it. It didn't happen, oh. but I stood from a distance uh-huh. and waited. And they were just belt sandering, belt sanding these these Be- cans. Belt sander? What did yeah, you say? Yeah. Belt sander? Okay. Yeah. And these cans open. And I'm just like, I, I guess it's better than a, a, an angle grinder. Oh. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't think that was an, the intent. You know, the emergency method of opening this can you know, I thought I was, you know, definitely uh, uh, brave. Uh, brave to use a hammer and a chisel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I had an old can. I used to try to buy like the scratch and dent cans, yeah, like the, yeah. the the spam cans yeah. of uh, any of the steel core. And if they were rusty, I was like, oh yeah, I'm all over it. I can totally talk this guy down like fifty bucks. Mm-hmm. So uh, the one uh, wind was broken, and I'm like, man, I was like. Oh, I don't want to cut this with anything. I said, all right. So I just sat there with, like, a hammer and a chisel and went the whole way around. And, like, my buddy, I remember him looking at me like, dude, you hit one of those primers. You're done. I'm like, eh, I think I'll be okay. So I put on welding gloves. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then I put on, like, a grinding shield, you know, like an abrasive shield. And I'm sitting in there, and, like, I just kind of glance over, and I could see my neighbors at the garage I ran, and they're looking out, and they're just like this. And, like, if I... <laughs> I can't read lips, but I can kind of read lips. And, you know, uh, I can tell you that there was uh, some four-letter words yeah, in there, yeah. like, you know, qu- quite a few of them. And uh, I think they were mad because I was close to their brand-new Buick that they had. Um, but, hey, it worked out. It's a yeah. Buick. Yeah. It should have been fine. Right, exactly. I mean, they're, they're tanks. Um, but, yeah, so Chinese Steel Corps will always be, like, one of my favorite rounds. Um even though you want to make sure you watch out your gun very good after prolonged firing, especially in, you know, Pennsylvania in the middle of summer with our spirit-crushing humidity. Um, but, yeah, a, a lot of that surplus stuff nowadays pulls a serious premium. I, I, right now, the Yugoslavian stuff is coming in, which is amongst some of the most accurate ammo I've ever fired. Highly corrosive, but... A crate of it, I believe, is around the $800 mark right now wow. for 1,200 rounds, which I know everything's ridiculous, but wow. I have still still some S&B that I purchased. Man, it must have been early 90s. It, like, the the casing is almost like marbled yep. colored. Yeah, yeah it's, that's good it's stuff. pretty cool, yeah. That, um, I mean, so for the most part... There still is surplus ammo out there for buying, but mostly it's collecting, we'll say. Yeah. Um, 
some of your your ammunitions, for the most part, when it comes to uh, AK-47, uh, AK-74, uh, even your Mosin guys, uh, it seems like Red Army Standard right now is, is everywhere, which is... Um, it, it's Century Arms. Downstairs. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they do. Century Arms owns uh, that company. Uh, they don't make that ammo. That ammo, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head what factory it's made in, um, but it's made in factories that make Wolf or Tula or any of your other commons. Um, but I'll tell you honestly, uh, to me, outside of the 69 grain uh, AK-74 ammo, it's pretty good stuff. The 69 grain had some problems. I experienced problems with it. Um, it's good good to go. Uh, recently, though, me and Joe, uh, and I told him not to get too worried about it, um, you will see uh, some interesting like cracks up around um, the neck of the casing. Uh, not down by the primer, um, but you'll see them up around, like, you know, where the bullet's pressed into the casing. Uh, I experienced that first right after Sandy Hook. Uh, quality control is at an all-time low, but shooting new Tula ammo, I've not had a problem yet. Uh, Tula, I find, pretty much as accurate as Wolf. Um, it's good, solid running ammo. I've never had a problem with it. Uh, another ammo that when it's on the market that I really recommend snagging up is uh, Golden Tiger. Mm. Very good ammo. It's Russian made. Uh, it's lacquered sealed, but it's amongst some of the most accurate commercial ammo I've ever seen. Uh, if you have the means and you want a, a safe, we'll say, storage ammo for a long time, I would not necessarily rule out buying some of the Yugoslavian M76 or M67. Uh, it's good surplus ammo. It's very accurate. It's also sealed, but it pulls a premium. So know this, if you're going to spend $800 on it and you're not going to shoot it, it's a commitment. Gotcha. I'll tell you that uh, from the caching world, uh, the the Soviet the Warsaw Pact mindset when it came to doing caches, they loved themselves some uh, maritime some underwater caches. So when they seal a product, they seal it with the concept of hey, I'm throwing this in the drink. Yeah, yeah. Um, now it's still in a metal can. They know it's you know corrosion of water and all of that, but it is designed for a couple years of moisture. I mean, to be put it, literally put it at the bottom of a lake. Um, they, you know, they have that mentality over there. And they're nitrogen purged. Yeah. So, so when you go to crack one of them, you hear that, and you're like, what is that, anthrax? <laughs> What's going on? And that was right around 2001, so I was probably uh, a little yeah, more paranoid yeah, than yeah. normal. But, yeah, definitely uh, their, their concept of packaging is just by the nature of the way that they store their stuff and the way that they would store their, self, their stuff in an emergency is different than say ours, where, you know, just buried in the ground. Cool. They're willing to do that maritime cash. Well, I, I think that's a good place to to call it. Thank you, Keith. It's been a pleasure yeah. having you on it, here, man. Any last words before? Uh... No, thank you both so much for having me on. I, I really appreciate this. Uh, definitely a pleasure on this end. I appreciate it, fellas. Cool. Well, like I mentioned earlier, it's July. 
15th, we've got our AK class. Would you uh, would you be willing to come out and spend some time out there? Absolutely. Okay, cool. So if you guys sign up for that class, Keith will be out there. If uh, people want, after listening to this, if they want to contact you, what's a good way for them to? Keith Bonte on Facebook or Keith Bonte on Instagram. Okay. No handle, just my straight-up name. And if, if you can't reach him there and you do have a question, feel free to contact us, call us, email us, message us, and we'll make sure we get it to him. Uh, again, thank you. It's, it's been a pleasure. Well, thank you guys again. And uh, I guess with that, we'll, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. Take care. Stay safe. This is the AK-47 assault rifle, the preferred weapon of your enemy. And it makes a distinctive sound when fired at you, so remember it. <laughs>